Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is the third episode of Concerned Dabs Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kane. With me is my co-host, Will Terps. He's uh, getting getting ready. Uh, we have an interview lined up for later. Uh, one of our guests is running late. So our topic for this episode is solvent extraction. We're just going to talk about uh, like different examples of it and <coughs> different concerns that we have about it. And I'm going to play uh, the patient of sorts, and Will is going to play the bud tender with all the info. So it'll, it'll kind of be like an inf- like a like an interview with Will Terps. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yes, sir. Okay, so when I googled solvent extraction, it says solvent extraction, also called liquid-liquid extraction and partitioning, is a method to separate compounds based on their relative solubilities in two different immiscible liquids. In cannabis, it's basically stuffing a column with material and running some sort of solvent through it and pulling the oil in the bottom at the end and then purging that to the product that you get. The different examples I have are like butane hash oil, propane hash oil, CO2 oil. Some people use ethanol. There's this stuff called naphtha, um, nitro, etc. So my first question for Will, because he is the resident dab expert at Natural Wonders, is uh, which do you prefer of these extraction methods and why, Will? I'd say I have to, my favorites are a good uh, live resin or zombie extract on the, on the solvent side. And then um, I also really enjoy like a nice uh, hash rosin too. So um, I, I like uh, trying a wide variety of things, but I'd say uh, live resin and hash rosin are some of my more two favorite uh, extraction methods. Word. Okay, so that goes to my next question. What is live resin? Uh, live resin is basically um, chopping down the plant uh, and flash freezing it and then extracting it within. I mean, it's everyone has a different definition of live resin, but I consider probably um, within processing the plant within 24 hours of uh, harvesting it. So whether that be you let it, you freeze it, you let it hang dry a bit. Yeah, dude, I agree. Uh, that's usually that stuff tastes really good. Definitely. Um, one of my homies out in Hermiston worked at a mint farm, and so when they grow mint, and they're gonna extract it for either essential oils or toothpaste or flavors or scents, it's like that. They do it the same way. Yep. They they chop everything down and they have a guy running oil on site. And so, Absolutely. yeah, really, yeah, very really similar big, processes, big on flavor. Um, the next question I have is what is zombie extract? Uh, so zombie extract is, uh, the, the play on words there is half dead, half alive. So you have a mixture of, um, fresh frozen material, uh, which would be the live and then a mixture of, uh, slow cured or dried material. Um, so it's basically a, an extraction mix of um, cured cured material and then fresh material. Word, dude. I remember Echo Electuary had this uh, ghost train haze zombie extract that was on the shelf there for a while. And that shit looked like crack rocks, bro. But it was 
fire. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And um, I talked to Echo a bit about the their zombie process, and basically they started doing it because they uh, realized that it would give them um, they'd be pulling different cannabinoids in different percentages, and also got different terpene numbers too, and different um, you know percentages of certain terpenes. Um, so they kind of just started playing with like ratios of, of what they, you know, more dried material, less fresh, more fresh material, less dried, uh, that type of stuff. And we're, we're getting, uh, results all over the board. So, um, it's always interesting to, to have a side by side and see, you know, when they have uh, a live resin of something and then a zombie extract. I think they had, uh, last time or, or last year, um, they had a, a slog live resin and then a slog zombie and you know same same strain um from the same batch i think but uh very different results whether you know they processed it with cured material and, or just fresh that's tight dude i like those guys's work whenever i travel anywhere and people are like what should i look for in oregon if you do dabs look for echo definitely yeah, yeah. They do um, an exceptional job with uh, all the consistencies that they uh, that they offer. Yeah. Okay. And then they partner with other farms too, don't they? Like there's collaborations mm-hmm. between them and other rec farms. Yeah. Um, Benson Elvis has been a huge one. That's uh, been consistently one of the the farms that we uh, that you'll see. You know, at least at least one collaboration with in uh, each of their drops. Yeah, dude. Um, but uh fire. they also I... partner with a bunch of other farms around oregon too and i know they have a, an extensive waiting list in terms of um people who have hit them up who want their uh material process um but yeah super awesome that they uh they have so many farms that want to work with them because they uh process a wide variety of strains that uh you know people wouldn't normally get to try no doubt Okay, so my next question, Will, is what is distillate? So distillate is basically um, a solvent-free extract, as they, they call it, difference between solventless, which is uh, like ice water extract, um, and then solvent-free, which is distillate, and you know what I consider CO2. Um, and distillate is basically um, a steam distillation process that removes... Um, all the terpenes, all the the you know the com the not the compounds, but uh, the terpenes, so like the flavor and the uh, taste, and, and then, most uh, most of the other cannabinoids too, right? Except THC. yeah, it removes mainly most of the other cannabinoids, leave, leaving just THC uh, mainly, um, in a, you know super potent, and then it also uh, suppose supposedly removes all the solvent. Um, um, and pesticides, although that's debatable. Yeah. Um, I don't know about that one. But yeah, it's basically a high um, high THC, very pure extract, um, but it's, it's, it's made and processed from crude. So, you know. Um, yeah. Dark super slabs. crappy. Yeah, dark slabs, you know, not really uh, pretty crappy oil quality and, and most of that comes from not all i will say but uh most of it comes from you know failed harvests or or some problem with the grow that you know um the only option was to go that route so would you say that most distillate ends up in vape pens 
or cartridges more or less. Yeah, nowadays um a lot of the the distillates ending up in vape pens for sure. There's there's very little uh um like, you know, dis, like dabable distillate, if you will. Yeah. I remember uh Dirty Arm tried that for a bit with the rose gold and I think he did all of two drops and you know, he has a lot of he gets a lot of support behind his products cuz he makes really high quality uh you know, edibles and live resin. Yeah. Um, but that one, um, you know, I just think don't think people were feeling the the distillate aspect of, uh, of it. So nah, because they shop with him for the terps, man. Yeah. So you know what I mean, it's like it's cool that you can make this, but this isn't what we like from you. So we do something else. So uh, one of the concerns that I have about that too is um when you're shopping for these things if you're getting cartridges for the convenience of it whether you're traveling or at work um ask the bud tender where the terpenes came from for the flavoring in the cartridge um if he doesn't say that they came from the cannabis that was extracted um then more than likely it came from some bottled terps that are used for scent or flavoring and they yep. just come up with a mix in that and mix it with the distillate so that it tastes a certain way when you vape it up in your cartridge. Right. And I try not to shop with that stuff because I want the salesman to know where it came from and what's in it if I'm going to buy it. Definitely, definitely. Um, and having said that, um, there is um, a lot of companies are doing that in the sense that they're adding you know like terpenes that they extract so for example um echo electuary is using like a distillate base um in their pens and they're doing blends so they'll do um you know like live nectar of like golden strawberries which is basically like the terp pour off um on the top of the extraction uh and and blend that with the distillate to give it um flavor um but you know those those are cannabis derived terpenes and you know extracted from uh strain specific uh material so it's definitely yeah. definitely a lot different than than you know trying to replicate strain profiles and terpene profiles through um bottled terpenes you know that you can get on like online or something like that no doubt yeah cuz i man on ig there used to be so many ads that would slide down my feed for that and it was companies that were just selling flavor profiles with bottled terps. And there were a lot of companies when it was still medical in Oregon that had transplanted from California, and that was their whole game. And a lot of them didn't last that long. So um, I, I try to shop smart and stay concerned about my dabs, Will. Definitely. Okay. Uh, Mitch, uh, it seems like we might have a question from uh, YouTube there. Yeah, I think, I think so. It says, uh, would you choose live resin extract or distillate, and why? Um, I guess I'll answer that first. Yeah, I will. would personally choose zombie extract, um, just because I like the the um, the wide array of terpene uh, profiles you get from those extractions. And they also tend to be uh, kind of uh, mellowed out or lower um, in, in terpene percentages. Some of these uh, live resins, especially from Echo Electuary, uh, 
to really get up there in like the 20% range, even like um, 30% I've seen. And that, um, those are super flavorful, don't get me wrong. But uh, when you're getting in that high of terpene concentrations, it's definitely a little bit harsh on the throat. Um, uh, kind of yeah. expands. Um, so I tend to, to like the, the more balanced um, terpene percentages, you know, uh, irritate my throat as, as much. So zombie extract would be my, ch- uh, my choice. No doubt. Um, I would say the same thing. Um, I remember Dirty Arm had some really dope live resin that I would always just grab because I liked the packaging. It was hella mm-hmm. expensive, but yep. it's like, dude, this is fire. So if, if homies want to do dabs, I'd rather pull this out. But uh, that dude, yeah, that zombie ghost train haze, like nobody had ever really seen that whenever I pull that out in Seattle or anywhere else. They'd be like, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, dude, yes, that zombie. Yeah, that's, that's you guys ain't doing that up here, man. <laughs> um, what do you feel will are some of the benefits of solvent extraction? Like um from the patient point of view, I guess, and a business point of view. Uh patient point of view, uh, you know, people who have higher tolerance uh, tolerances who need to to get quick uh, and potent pain relief. Um, that is definitely you know one of the benefits. Uh, you know, biggest benefits I'd say to to extracts just how how quickly they hit and how potent they are. You know, so when you have that high pain threshold, um, you know you can you can get the potency you need. Um, and then also just the vaporization too, you know, you always have people, um, since there's not, you know, full, full studies on cannabis yet. Um, but you know, vaporizing is always a little bit, uh, easier on the lungs than combusting. Um, so yeah, uh, concentrates and dabbing is great in that sense. And then from a business point, uh, solvent extracts, um, it's you know you get depending on the strain and and what kind of material you're extracting you you can you know expect normally like pretty good yields um you know you get a lot of flavor you know if you have your tech down you can pretty much purge out all the solvents used um every time uh so from a business point of view it's you know as long as long as you're um able to to process volume um but with quality, you know, uh, have it be a, a quality product, then, um, you know, you're going to do well. Just looking at, like, White Label and, and Echo uh, Lectuary is, like, some of their, like, lower, like, you know, more budget stuff, if you will. Um, and, you know, that stuff still has a bunch, uh, bunch of flavor, too. And it's, like, you know, 15, 20 bucks out the door. So Yeah, I follow those guys on IG, too, White Label Extracts. And I think they've gone through different team members but definitely yeah i'm i'm i am that shopper when i'm a patient like i'm trying to get uh a gram of dabs for less than 50 bucks you know what i mean so when i see yeah. something for 20 25 i'm like shit you tried this and we'll be like hell yeah it's fire definitely but, you know because then you can get two for the same That's price I'm not too snobby with my dabs, and I don't really dab that often, ladies and gentlemen. I got to be honest. I'm a flower guy. Um, when I'm with homies like Will or McQuinna from Natural Wonders, that's I'll do dabs with them. Because when in Rome, do as the Romans do. 
<laughs> um, so you talked about some of the benefits to patients and businesses. What are some of the dangers you feel? Um, solvent extractions, just as always with a lot of things, you get stupid people attempting stupid shit and with you know solvent extract extractions using butane yeah that kind of goes to the next level so um there's been a lot of uh doofuses that have uh even in portland that have tried home extraction and and blown themselves up blown up their labs blown up portions of their houses yes sir. Uh, businesses you know um started fires uh so yeah. um you know i remember I remember seeing a guy at a car maintenance place and like all of his eyebrows were gone and everything. He he just looked burnt, but he, he had the goggles at least on. Oh wait. So maybe his eyebrows weren't, he just, it wasn't sunburn. I was like, dude, he must've had an accident. Yeah. But when I, whenever it was in the news, you'd see that an apartment blew up or a house blew up a garage, whatever. And whether someone died or not, if it didn't say it was a meth lab, then they were running oil. Um, Looks like we have another YouTube question. Um, this one take us to another topic, but is how does yeah. one apply for a medical marijuana permit? Um, so I don't know if that's as a patient or a grower, but yeah. as, a, as a patient depending on the state um the process is more or less you have a qualifying condition that you've been to the doctor to or you've been to the doctor for and so you have a history of this condition so say you have a bad back or you got in a car wreck and your neck is still messed up um i've seen guys with sciatica pain even from having their wallet in their back pocket as long as they've been to the doctor for three or four visits you get the medical records for those visits, and then you bring them to the medical marijuana doctor. Um, he talks to you for an hour or less, looks at your records, sees that you have a history of this condition, and is qualified to give you a recommendation for medical marijuana. So usually for that bit, for that visit with that doctor is like maybe a hundred, two hundred bucks, and then to send the paperwork into the state is usually a hundred or 200 bucks, depending on which state you're in. Elaborate on that a little bit more, Will, if you can. Yeah. I mean, you, you covered a lot of the, the basics there, but yeah, I imagine it's slightly different um, depending on the state you're in. Uh, but the bottom line is, yeah, just having a, you know, note notation of, you know, or history of uh, um, at least documented somehow of uh, chronic condition that gives you pain or you know something that falls under the uh qualifying condition list for the the state that you're in um and then um just basically um following the guidelines and and more than likely sending you know um those doctor notes into the to the state to, for approval and then they'll you know send you a card back yeah most, and most often works and then in most states, too, you can assign someone as your caregiver and someone as your grower, too. So there's two other people that can receive a medical marijuana card to cultivate for you and to purchase medicine for you if you can't make it to the store or you're incapacitated and bedridden or something like that. You can 
assign your wife or your caregiver. You can make it whoever you want. So um, I feel like that was always a cool thing too. Because if, if you have a girlfriend or a wife and you have it in the car and she doesn't know it's there and she gets pulled over, she's good. You know, she's not going to get a ticket because she's your caregiver and that was just in the car. So she's legal to possess it. Totally. Um, so we got another question. Um, would you recommend dabs or flour for medical use? Um, and maybe use both for different things. And also, do you prefer solvent dabs for medical use? I'll I'll refer those questions to Will. Um, yeah. Um, as far as recommending dabs or flour, I'd say it's more just personal preference if you've tried both. Um, you know, I imagine you might like one or the other a little better, and if you you know not. Both are, are great to use interchangeably. Um, I, I like to use, you know, if I have both flour and, uh, um, you know, extracts, I like to use, you know, go between them so I don't um, get my tolerance too high by just taking, taking a bunch of dabs. Um, but, you know, I'd say for that, it's just um, personal preference. Um, I will say that a lot... Um, Flower is is going to give you a more like full spectrum high. It's got more uh, um, just a wider array of terpenes and cannabinoids than extracts. Uh, it's kind of monotone, um, but yeah. So for I guess I guess it's I'm saying personal preference, but if we're getting down to it, um, flower is a little bit more full spectrum, and I'd say you know a little more effective for tr you know treating a wide variety of things. I agree. I remember when I had my dad freak out in 2014. I, I just felt like something was wrong with my heart, so I stopped doing them. I called my cousin Trina because she's a chemist. Um, if she's listening right now, shout out to Trina. I DJ'd her <laughs> wedding, and, and they're still together, so I'm proud of them. Um, but when I called her, I was just like, hey, my heart hurts. I don't know why it feels weird. I think it might be the oil. And she said, well... I would be worried about whatever medicine is in your flowers. Not all of that is making it into the oil. She's like, a, a, you know, it's only part of it. So there might be something in the flower that's benefiting you. Um, that's not benefiting you when it gets turned into oil. And that was early, you know, that was only, she's not a, a medical grower or an extractor or anything. That was just her point of view. Um, the other thing that I would say, too, is if your state doesn't require pesticide, residual pesticide testing for concentrates, I would be cautious about consuming them if you're a medical patient because uh, one of the concerns that I have or dangers, I guess, would be um, someone can pass a residual pesticide test for their flowers because it's not in a concentration that's uh, enough to be hot on the lab test, but you could turn those same flowers into oil and that oil can test hot and fail the lab test because it's concentrated three times. Like um, a rule of thumb too would always be whatever the flower potency test was. If it was 20%, 25%, you could times it by three and that's what the oil test would usually be at the end. So 
Um, it's not just a concentration of cannabinoids and terpenes. There's also whatever pesticides were sprayed on the plant too. So that's, uh, in the end, that's what I feel like it was. And that's why I stopped doing dabs because the place that I was, um, working in there, there was no required testing at that time. Um, and then Washington too, for the first year or two of their rec, they didn't, it was only 10 things that they tested for. And now they, they test for everything. So that's one thing. If you're a medical patient, that's one thing I would look out for is, has this been tested for residual pesticides? Definitely. Um, and the other yeah, question, ahead, too, man. I didn't actually answer the, the, do you prefer solvent dabs for medical use? Um, I actually, if, if being fully honest, I my favorite um type of extract to dab is, is solventless hash rosin um like really good you know pressed from like um five or six star um that to me is is the pinnacle of uh extract um you know no no solvent used whatsoever um but that type of extract is ex- uh, very expensive and unless you're producing it or growing or no you know, or dealing it essentially, um, that is is just a very expensive habit and, and almost not plausible to at least for 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 my budget range uh, to smoke consistently. Um, so I, I I go between the two, but I, I mainly smoke you know solvent extracts. Kind of treat that as like a um, you know a treat every now and then. No but doubt. If I had if I had a choice. I would only smoke uh, solventless, probably. No doubt, I I agree with that too. Will um, anytime I've got any kind of hash rosin or flower rosin, it tasted really good, and I just felt good about consuming it because there's no no chance of any butane or any any solvents left over in in the end product, and you can taste it, dude. And it's like when I asked the bunter, yo, how did they make this? With water. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Water and ice. Yeah. I'm like, cool. Cool. That you know, that feels exactly. safe to me. And I'm I'm with that. Um so one of my next questions, Will, is um who are your favorite act- extractors? Um I know we talked about Echo Electuary, um, and Dirty Arm. Those would probably be my top two, but I know that you get to see a plethora of products on the in the Oregon scene because you work at a dispensary and you also write for Oregon Leaf. So you you are the turf expert, Will. Yeah, so um basically sorry, I'm leaning for can, can you repeat the question again there? Who are your favorite extractors? Like who's who's the guys favorite that are um definitely Echo Electray like we talked about. Um I also really like Dirty Arm Farm uh, for solvent. Um, Willamette Valley Alchemy does great work too. Um, I've also liked some uh, selections I've had from uh, White Label. Um, and then on the solvent list side, I'd say Happy Cabbage Farms um, has been really solid. Left Coast Farms, my buddy Anthony washes for them. 
We're trying uh, to get him on the show next weekend. Yeah, folks. yeah. Next next week's episode is solvent less extraction. So yeah, we're he does some great work. We're um, trying to be objective and show both sides. We like BHO, but solvent less is kind of the way these days, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say if I had to go top four, um, dirty arm, echo lectuary. Um, and then Happy Cabbage and uh, um, Left Coast Farms. Um, and then also um, my buddy, uh, another one of my buddies, Chris, washes for Scored, uh, Scored Marijuana in Washington. Um, and he does, I know he does a lot of, he does all hand wash, no machines, um, you know, does it out of buckets with a paddle. And he washes a lot of exotic genetic stuff, I know. Um, it's like blue lime pie, mint chocolate chip. Damn. Um, Damn. A bunch of other strains. Um, and he and he's making some great stuff, too. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, we. what are some of the dangers? I think we touched on that a little bit. What are some of the dangers that you feel, Will? That was kind of more or less my answer. But what are some of the dangers that you feel? Um, what are some concerns you have about extraction in this solvent uh, manner? For me, it's mainly the, the people who aren't qualified and don't know what they're doing, trying to extract, you know, do uh, solvent extraction. So, you know, the, the depots trying to open blast in their homes, um, that type of stuff. That's when, that's when it really becomes a danger. Uh, excuse me, in my eyes, um, as far as ingesting butane, a lot of companies nowadays are able to get the PPMs, residual PPMs, to at or around zero. That type of, uh, you know, getting getting it down to, to zero PPM takes definitely takes uh, trial and error. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. that's parts, parts per million for anybody that's listening. Yeah. When extraction goes through a lab test, um, they check for... It's like 400 different pesticides in Oregon, but anything that hits is a number in parts per million. So there were this many parts per million of this compound in your oil when they lab tested it. Yeah. Um, and then another question is, touched on house fires with solvent extraction, how widespread is that? Um, um, I don't have any numbers on that, Will. I just remember reading it paper all the time out there in uh, yeah, Oregon. Yeah, I don't have any exact numbers on it either. I will say that um, it's more widespread than you think, and that every time it does happen, it's kind of like a you know, two steps forward, four steps back, because they can just, people use it immediately as you know, an example. Um, it's like, you know, well, this is why we can't have, you know, solvent extractions. People blowing themselves up. Who's to say that, you know, uh, you know, licensed lab won't do that, you know, next to someone's house or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we can, uh, I can look that up and maybe we can answer that for next week. Uh, yeah. Maybe that, maybe that can be a benefit of solventless extraction. I'm sure that I could find some different articles because there was, I think it was out there in Astoria and it was a medical lab that was switching to rec, but it was an explosion happened and a fire started and I think only two people got hurt, and so that's good. Nobody died, 
and I think the guys right. who got hurt were okay. So, um, but still, I I bet they didn't get a license after that. You know, exactly. Yeah. Um. So one thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit more, Will, is um the difference between the different types of uh solvent extracts. We talked about zombie kind of a lot and live resin and distillate um but there's always there's also propane and co2 um guys don't really do the ethanol very much anymore because i remember buying carts when everything when medical dispensaries were starting to open up and a lot of the carts were with ethanol dude and you could really taste it oh yeah you know and it's like it tasted like isopropyl alcohol out of the bottle with with hash in it you know what i mean yeah and i um remember too back in the day uh was it chi concentrates i think he did uh he made like chocolates he did edibles chocolates and caramels i believe then he also uh ethanol hash oil that was as popular for a quick second and then kind of faded yeah dude i my, I didn't like the taste of that stuff, so I tried not to support it. Um, there's, like, propane. I feel like um, when guys mix, because sometimes dudes will do a mixture of butane and propane, like a 70-30 mixture. I feel like when they put that propane in there, it makes it a lot more yellow. Would you Would you agree with that? Like that's Yeah, the, yeah. The bright yellow look is because they ran it with propane. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the PHO tends to be kind of uh, produce a lighter color. Um, that's actually what a lot of people are doing. Blends of uh, like seventy percent propane, thirty percent entane, um, just because propane gives that lighter color to extracts for sure. Um, you know, kind of. You can always tell. Back in, remember a few years ago, there was a few companies in Oregon that were. Uh, making a lot of pho propane hash oil um uh, onto the market and uh they were doing it with a lot of material that wasn't that great of quality um and you know it would be super light in color and and you know have a, a, a interesting kind of like now that i think about it monotone smell um but yeah. um it would look super good and i remember you know dabbing it looking like flaky flaky crumble and it just tasted like trim yeah um, so you know that was definitely um uh an easy way to uh make older material look uh better and fresher yeah um, man it seemed like they would uh they would whip it or something in the purge where it would puff up like foam too so that gram would look fat as shit in the little plastic canister yeah you know yeah I mean? definitely it looks so super like, big it's just very light yeah. yeah um so what about co2 oil i don't see very many companies branding themselves as that i remember uh the co2 company and pop naturals is that kind of going away are people kind of moving more towards distillate and live resin cartridges yeah people definitely are um I think like that's would, would you really say from from a sales point of view because you're behind the counter all the time do you people just yeah. don't want co2 oil anymore yeah, God, I haven't just thinking I haven't been actually behind the counter in in a few months here, but yeah, um, when I you know 
at Natural Wonders, we definitely got more of the requests for pens where people looking for like distillate options, you know, with strain specific terpenes or terpenes add back for flavoring on the on the pretty you know more cheap side we did carry we did try to carry like at least one co2 option so we'd carry the um drop science they still make like a, a nug run co2 they grow their own material and you know throw whole nugs in for a co2 process which you know pretty much is no one no one's doing now i can think of um, yeah but they they make a great product um and you know it's all co2 and 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 they're they're branding with that product is, is that it's more full full spectrum which yeah. is there's, there's a lot more variety of cannabinoids yeah um, it's usually darker too right and everything's yeah. not cooked off in light like it is in distillate like there's still stuff in there there yeah definitely um and it and it tends to not be as light colored and look as pretty as like the distillate pens um and that and that in a sense makes it harder to uh to sell because you know it's um you got to convince people that the lower full spectrum high and then that's you know might be what this thc isn't as high as that thc will why are you trying to tell me this yeah exactly you know people just always wanting the highest thc of of anything available but you know so definitely takes a bit of legwork to um try and convince people that the full spectrum and co2 uh pens uh, might be what they need, you know, depending on what they're uh, they're in for. No doubt, no doubt. So another question that we had was, uh, is the what's the PPM threshold? Like, what's allowed in Oregon? Is it like ten thousand PPM? Uh, I am not sure on the exact number of what it what it needs to be be under uh, i should know but um, I, I should too i'm pretty sure the mold test was ten thousand colony forming units. yeah yeah if you were above don't... that it's like yo this is fucking moldy if you're yeah, less than yeah. that it's like that's allowed you know it's oregon yeah i should pay but, more attention but metric does a lot of the legwork and just seem you know that um you know it'll it'll have a big x on it if anything's you know over a certain amount um that's you know legally allowed but yeah. um it's it's low it's low it's lower than food than than any you know than the USDA has uh, set for food so you know um, the the tomato they don't, the toma- they don't even run that test on food yeah they don't even so the tomato that you go pick up at the supermarket for sure has ten times more pesticides than Oregon cannabis or any Oregon product that makes it to shelves for that matter dude. Um, Man, once we get some sponsors, Will, we should run a test like that. And just on tomatoes, go and buy some from the store, send them yeah. to the cannabis lab and say, hey, can you guys run a test on these to see what pesticides are in there? And exactly. I bet you in Oregon, they'd be like, fuck, this fails on fucking exactly. 10 different things, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure about the the PPM threshold, but I know that Oregon has a really extensive list of pesticides that they test for. One of them the most extensive list um you know in the u.s any other medical or recreational state you know i think they require like 80 to 100 something like that roughly like pesticides yeah you know to be tested for dude Uh, i think it's like 400 like it's it's a lot dude yeah yeah you know if you see it probably more than that 
if you see a new one on the shelf, you can mail it in and say, hey, are you guys checking for this? And they'll be like, um, nope, we're not yet, but we'll add it to the list. Can, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and for a while, there was like uh, only a few labs that were able to do all that that uh, wide-spectrum uh, pesticide testing, one of them being Pixis Labs. And um, they're actual um, agricultural labs, so they do food testing and that type of stuff. Um, Hell yeah. So well, yeah, that was that was what uh a lot of the labs were sending off their samples to get the the full pesticide test done because they didn't have the the equipment yet or they weren't approved for it. Yeah, um, that was the big thing of going rec, right? There was all yeah. kinds of lab tests, um, all kinds of companies that were offering cannabis lab tests when it was medical, and then the requirements for going rec were extensive. So only, only a couple made it through that whole licensing process after the first year. So everybody else wasn't the process like other labs could test for potency, but for that, they had to mail it off so they could still publish the results and stay in business, but they just couldn't operate because they couldn't do that test because they didn't have the proper credentials for it or something. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then Washington. It's definitely less, uh, less yeah. pesticides they test for, probably higher numbers even, sadly. Um, yep. Any PPM okay ever? I think it varies on the pesticide, sadly. I think there's certain ones where you can't have any any trace, you know, any any amount of it in there, then that would fail the test. Um, but I do think they have other ones. There's, you know, there might be a limit of like 10 PPMs or something, you know, so if it's 8 PPM, it'll pass. I think it just varies on, on, you know, what pesticide it is. Yeah. And then the threshold is usually the same on flour and concentrate, right? So relative to the sample, if this, what you're, if this is what you're consuming, then this is, we're testing for this on both, you know? Yeah. And the thing about the crazy thing about um, pesticide testing with uh, flowers and extracts is you can have, something you know a a bit of you know trace ppms of uh um a certain you know a few pesticides and flour and have it um you know pass because it's under the you know five or ten ppm threshold um but that if you concentrate that if you were you know like process it into like hash oil you know like um, live resin or bho or solventless can be uh, concentrated into um, unexceptional levels. So otherwise, you know, you can take a flower that has passing levels of pesticides and then concentrate it and it, it would yeah. fail. Yeah, it'll be times three. So if the flower tested at 5,000 ppms for this pesticide, that's a pass. Yep. But if you concentrate that into oil, it'll probably be 15,000 ppms. And, yep. that, and that is going to be a fail. So. Um, that's that's one of the the dangers of extracts i guess so if you're shopping for it please ask these questions what else as far as differences here will have you ever like there was this company out of spokane called nitro honey is that is that the same thing as napta i'm not sure i'm unfamiliar with that nitro honey me too it looked like some some sort of I think they had it in cartridges or something. It was kind of more viscous type product. What about you though, uh, uh, Kane? Do you uh, did you see any 
any solvent extractors or solventless extractors that that you know you thought had it together when you were um, down in Arizona. You know, you know, you went to a few few events and secret sessions and stuff that you know maybe some of the the lesser known quality growers or extractors might have popped up too. Dude, I saw that it's Wonka Oil or something. Have mm-hmm. you seen? It? Yeah, I saw him. I I uh, bought a couple of his carts just because I followed him on IG. Nice. Um, and those functions are pretty cool. Down here in Arizona, it's still medical. It's somewhat less regulated than if it were to go wreck. So patient to patient is still legal. Every now and then, someone will throw a function that's a private party. Um, you have to be a patient and 21. So you have to message your ID and your card and you have to get an invite from IG. So it's a really super private function. But if you show up, there's always some good music. And sometimes there'll be some food and there'll be uh, not a whole lot of vendors, but enough to where there's a diverse amount of products. And um, there's all different kinds of cards, stuff from Cali makes it over. Guys would just have an extensive menu where it's like, it's like the one at Natural Wonders where it's like a whole bunch of different samples. You can can see the color, the clarity, and it just, nobody really had a super big brand name that I rolled with, but there was one guy, dude, I can't remember his name. I feel like a dick now, Um, but he was making his edibles and everything with hash rosin. So I thought that was super cool. Um, one of the dispensaries that I went to was called AZ Organics. They had a whole bunch of flavors of BHO for like 20 a gram. And it was like, with the tax, it was only 25. So I had a homie out in Glendale um, named Jason. Shout out to Jason. He's actually up there in Portland now. Will, when you guys open up, I'm going to send him your way. Cool. Um, he, when I'd go to his house, he always wanted to do dab. So we would go to AZ organics and I was like, shit, I'll grab one. They're only 25 bucks, dude. And it it was good, man. There was, uh, it was some kind of tangy, like tangy land or something. And even though it was shatter, you could still taste it. You know, it was pretty good. Yeah. I remember, uh, back in the medical days, it was, this was only a product that was, um, around for a a few months or maybe just a few weeks. Um, but it was a, a, this guy, he still, I believe he still makes, uh, still washing hash, but he's, uh, name goes by the name of Tate, or he went by the name of Taste of Cascadia. Um, and he'd basically make a, uh, like granola energy bar type thing, like a kind bar, you know, meant for like taking out on the go, you know, like if you're hiking or something, um, that was made with solventless bubble hash and it was around 200 milligrams. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this was like, this was like five five years ago or so four or five years ago so you know talk about being ahead of the game yeah you know offering just you know not only like an edible with super high quality bubble hash in it but but a healthy one you know it's yeah. what a lot of uh it's what i feel like is lacking with uh, a lot of the edibles today you know it's always fun to have like a, a super delicious cookie or brownie or cake you know soda or something that you gets you blasted uh but there's a lot of patients that they can't ingest uh, a lot of sugar and aren't necessarily looking for um, to have to eat something super sweet or or chock full of sugar just to get uh, to get a high, you know. So that's where capsules come into into play as a huge advantage. And uh, 
you know, and always applaud people making, um, trying to, you know, make healthier style edibles or more savory edibles. Dude, yeah, I worked for a guy. He was called, uh, it was like somebody's, somebody's extract company. That was the name of it. But that's, that's what I did for him is I made those little CO2 capsules. He had the little syringe thing. He'd have it heating up on a beaker with the magnet spinning so the, the mixture was viscous enough. And he'd wick, yeah. wick it up in the syringe from the, the glass jar and then put it in each <laughs> capsule. And he had, like, this cool machine that you could fit, like, 24 capsules in. So you'd put the bottom of it in, fill them all up, and then the lid, you could put the, the tops in and just smash it together. It was yeah. <laughs> pretty cool. But, I, you know, I was just asking him like dude do you i like i've worked in a lot of retail spots and i've never really sold those capsules to anybody dude you know what i mean i tried yeah. and people are just like i don't want that but he said dude certain old people like that's like the elderly baby boomer age he said that's what they want they're just used to taking a pill and he's like this is it's a 10 milligram dose you know what i mean yeah. like and so he it was uh, coconut oil is what he would cut it with. So whatever the lab test said was, according to milligrams, he would whittle it down with coconut oil. So the volume was 10 milligrams of THC per capsule. Nice. Yeah. It, and it was CO2 oil. So I feel like CO2 is a little bit safer than butane to eat or smoke, you know? Yep. But I'm not a scientist and there have not been any studies done yet. So... Hopefully, federal legalization will help that happen. So, what else do we have here? Diabetic-friendly edibles. Yeah, Will was talking about that. Um, tinctures. I guess that would count as a solvent extraction, right, Will? Yeah. Yeah, depending on what they use, you know, what they're... Somewhat like ethanol, because dudes will just soak some weed in, in some corn liquor for a month or two, <laughs> and then... There's the tincture, you know what I mean? Yep, yep. And I, I guess a benefit for that would be some patients have uh, degenerative nerve diseases and a lot of that stuff, um, even edibles, like won't make it there until way later to where it needs to be in the medicine, um, in, in their nerves, in their brain. So if they consume it right there on their tongue, it enters the bloodstream right there and can help them with that condition a lot more is what I've read. Definitely. Do we we don't have a do we have a guest coming on at eight forty five or did yeah, we hear back from him? We did not. I think that we might just have to go until nine, Will, and call it an episode. Um we haven't heard back from him yet, so I I think we'll be okay. No stress. Yeah, I'm happy yeah. with uh I'm happy with your commentary, dude. You really are uh knowledgeable on all of this stuff. Appreciate it. Seven tendencies um, on IG. I hope you can get that account back, dude. Because I know I need to need to request it and try and get it back. Because that's what I people, also should make a new one too. I guess. But that's what people really know you for, dude. You know, like definitely. That's that's how we came up with the name for the podcast. Is like Will would post himself doing a dab. Here's some concerned dabs that I took after work. I'm like, <laughs> we gotta call that the podcast, man. That's the one. I got to see more more posts like that on IG, bro. Definitely. Um, so is there anything else you want to add, Will? I feel like we uh 
we talked about um, a lot of stuff. We got another question here. Have you both done any solvent type extracts? Um, as far as producing, was that the question? Um, I've not. I have not. I, I, in the backyard at my cousin's house, we used to fill a glass tube and put a coffee filter on it and, you know, like run it into a glass tray and then sit there and put that in a purge oven. And that was not safe and it was not good that's, medicine. That's where you start though. I mean, as, as much as, you know, I'm not with the, the uh, I don't support open blasting, you know. No, that's where neither. that's where it started. You know, safe, that's yeah. where people grew up. You know, I, I, definitely the first half ounce or more of oil I smoked was for sure open blasted. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, <laughs> at least you know if you know if you're open blasting, you know, there's there's a way to do it safely to reduce the the risk for uh, you know hazard. Um, not yeah. To, you know, eliminate it. But, yeah, I only um, did that a couple of times, and then I I really felt scared. You know, I'm like, this yeah. ain't safe, man. Some asshole could come by smoking a cig, and we're all lit up on fire. You know, yeah. what I mean? Although, like I don't I don't want to have that happen. I I was pretty I was impressed, but also kind of scared because uh, I think it was like a year after I had um, been working out in the cannabis industry in Oregon, or, or had been in Oregon and seen you know like what uh you know, flour is supposed to look like, what concentrates are supposed to look like. Um, and I got, I came back to Massachusetts for, I think it was uh holiday break. And I got a gram of oil from like one of my old connects through a friend. And it was uh, like super clear, like super light, super clear, like shattered. And I was like, oh, wow, this looks like, something i'd get at treehouse collective you know yeah. back in you know something from uh white label or you know echo and uh i uh then came to, came to learn that uh it was purged using a vacuum cleaner on a pancake griddle in a mason jar wow so you, put, you put a vacuum hose in a in a mason jar on a pancake griddle to like you know get it hot under like a skillet and that's how it was purged. Wow. Yeah. So almost like some distillate, but hella ghetto fucking. Yeah, the ghetto Damn sound man. like that worked. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. That guy must have watched a lot of YouTube videos, man. Absolutely. So question we got is you uh yeah, I stated that uh CO two I, I think is safe, like a little bit safer than butane to consume. Um, I don't usually look for CO2 extract when I'm shopping, um, unless it's like a super dope strain. I'm like, no way you guys got this and it's unspecial, but it does. It, it tastes kind of, uh, my complaint is it all kind of tastes the same across the board. You know, it's like they're shooting through yeah. the middle for potency and taste and it seems kind of bland. And how do you call it? Monotone, Will? Yeah. Yeah. The monotone flavor. Yeah, that's that's my monotone in, in not a dope way, not like guru. Yeah, exactly. Not like guru from Gangsta. But that like wh who is it? Uh Select Strange, they had some sort of live resin cartridges. Like, dude, those tasted way fire, man. Yeah. Like I was like, damn, this is bomb. One of uh my old roommate Justin, his old lady had one of those carts at Jackson's wedding. 
she was like you got to try this and i was like damn this is bomb and i looked at it and it had the select strange logo on it i was like damn girl you got a game did you get this at the store and she didn't she got it somewhere else so i was like man this is a a really tasty cartridge yeah and it seems like if you hit a co2 cartridge it's pretty bland what is your question we got is what is your favorite extract strain um mine slog super lemon og from at least the the cut that echo has um it's i really like anything lemon and a lot of lemon strains tend to be on like the zesty profile like flavor profile like super lemon haze is like pretty hazy and kind of tastes like almost like lemons zest almost um lemon og kind of has a more like gassy profile to it with a hint of lemon and slog is like one of the only lemon strains i found that actually tastes like the innards like a juicy lemon you know with a bit of a sour bite to it it's and something that uh echo's been making for a few years now and yeah words i guess i would say uh I mean, Echo, yeah, that Ghost Train Haze was bomb, but I'm more of an Indica guy and, like, the Indica-dominant hybrids like that Obama Kush and the Gorilla Glue from Dirty Arm. Like, those live resins, like, dude, those are so fire. Yeah, the glue, it's it's killer. And I was just really super chilled out after that. I remember watching that first... uh, it was Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz. And I, I watched it at the cannabis club because you knew the homie that worked there. They were like, yeah, we're going to watch yeah. it downstairs. I'm like, I got five bucks to throw on the pay-per-view. And they're like, cool, come by. That was the Heck flavor yeah. I had, bro. It was so That was a really good time. And everybody was righteously baked. And yep. it, it just, man, I, uh, I really dig socializing and smoking. I, I really want to see that happen a lot more across the country. I read that happening they passed some sort of bill in las vegas to allow for that in the future so might have to go to some parties up there we'll try to get some dj gigs or something yep we didn't get our guest to roll through but i think that we're gonna call that an episode i know will is on the east coast right now so it's midnight over there right now (laughs) yeah so so i'm wide awake i feel like we've touched on a bunch of concerns um, as far as the industry and solvent extraction go, um, next week's episode is going to be solvent less extraction. So we'll be talking about those methods. And dude, it really does taste a lot better. Like we're not trying to hate on anybody making BHO, but um, it it is more labor intensive too. So that is why it costs more. But um, hopefully, we can get the the guests we want for next show. If anybody's listening. And they have uh, expertise in solventless extraction. Please hit us up. We're at concerneddabspodcast.com. Is there anything else you want to add, Will, before we sign off tonight? That's it. I'll just say definitely tune in. Tune in for next week's episode on solventless extraction. uh, Because, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there. But in my mind... um, Bubble hash, good like six star bubble hash is the pinnacle of extraction. There's not much better than that. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Um, so plug social media. It's uh at Concerned Dabs on Snapchat, Concerned Dabs Podcast on Instagram, 
Um, you can search for us on spa- on Facebook, Concerned Dabs Podcast. We also have uh, just the, just the website has all of the links. So if anybody is wondering if we're on anything, it's got our Spotify link, our Google Podcast link, our Apple Podcast link, and our YouTube also. Um, I like my personal IG account is Petrelli82. Uh, I'm not trying to plug that too much. I do some of my music stuff on there too, but I really want folks to turn tune into at Concerned Dabs Podcast on Instagram. Um, do you want to plug your your beer making one on here, Will? Nah, uh, not not nah, yet. It's all good. <laughs> it's wait, good. wait till he makes a good batch. <laughs> yeah, uh, make a, um, make a I mean, stout. It's ha- hazy days, PNW, but uh. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a, it's it's a different thing, you know. Hopefully, I'll be able to, to to make something something decent soon. No doubt, I'm excited to uh, try some of your beers, Will. That's gonna be super dope, man. Heck yeah! So I think that concludes our episode. We want to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, this was episode three of Concerned Dabs podcast. I am your host, Katie M. Kane. My co-host, Will Terps. I got to give a shout out to our producers, Mitchell Wilson and Jesse Curry. Um, This has been a main node and J Street Enterprise production. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Peace out, Will. Rock on.